0: So today is Guru Day, and we honor our guru, um, Roy Eugene Davis, my guru and mentor, um, who I met back in 1970 and has been an inspiration, set an example, uh, provided so much information and guidance and mentoring throughout my whole life, and I'm very deeply appreciative that I have been called to this path and that I had the opportunity to know him uh, know him well and to be blessed by his consciousness i remember back in the early 70s when he did uh, programs at the los gatos lodge and the retreats uh, he would often start by chanting he would chant for a few minutes before we started the program and before he started his meditation and one of the chants that he uh, liked to do that he did almost every time was a sanskrit chant And I'll read the English translation of it. I always bow to Sri Guru, who is bliss, who exudes delight, and who is cheerful. His very nature is knowledge, and he is aware of his own self with the capital S. He is highest among the yogis and is adorable. He is the physician for the disease of worldly existence so this was his chant in sanskrit of course and so this is a wonderful reminder you know the guru is um that individual which serves as a bridge which serves as as this chant says as the physician as the healer to move us from full identification with this limited point of view and to allow us to open to expand to come into the awareness of what we really are and of course, in this process, we are, it's important for us to remember that we are not becoming something different. We are not aspiring to be something that we are not already. We are simply removing the obstacles, the things in the mind and awareness and consciousness that stand between us and this experience of our true nature, of pure conscious existence being. And once we're established in this true nature, in this awareness uh this pure awareness um, then this can persist this can stay with us even as we become involved with identified with and involved with the mind and the body and the personality and the character the role that we're playing Uh, even as we move through the world we can do so consciously and mindfully always aware always awake so this is self-realization, is to realize, to have experience and knowledge of the self, the true self. So this is uh, this is available. Uh, and I'm also reminded of our great-great-grandfather uh, in the Guru lineage, that is Lahiri Mahashaya. I mentioned the other day that he didn't really, uh, as far as I can tell, as far as anyone knows, He never referred to what he taught as kriya yoga he called it atma yoga atman is the the god within us is this essence of being that is pure whole and aware so atma and brahma is ultimate reality is everything and there is a statement in sanskrit atma is brahma so this uh, awareness of our own nature as a spiritual being as an expression of ultimate reality and that being one with ultimate reality so Lahiri Mahashaya was focused on and talked about Atma Kriyas Atma Yoga and so he had a, a song that he had uh, composed for himself and it was said that people would hear him repeating this song as he was making his way through the through the way the, the byways in benares on his way to uh, bathe in the ganges in the mornings and uh, again i will read you the translation of this it was he ch- would chant this in bengali which was his mother tongue but he basically says my worship is a rare worship i no longer sprinkle ganga water my worship is a rare worship i do not need any fruits or flowers i have lost all my utensils of worship i do not need any fruits or flowers i have lost all my utensils of worship i have forgotten shiva and kali and tara i have drowned in the almighty father my worship is a rare worship i no longer sprinkle ganga water i am absorbed in my indwelling soul. I have forgotten male and female deities. I am one with my indwelling self, attached and engrossed in Trinity. I have dived deep in my spinal canal. My body sense is gone. I am in joy. I worship my body with my divine power. So this was Lahiri Mahashaya's song, and he says that there was no longer anything external that he needed to do, everything was inside. I've dived deep in my spinal canal, my body sense is gone, I am in joy, I worship my body with my divine power. So he would say that I worship prana, life force, energy on the altar of the spine and so in our kriya yoga tradition pranayama appreciating and working with these internal energies this life force prana uh, is a very intricate part or an intimate part of our process and our procedure and so pranayama prana uh, mr davis would remind us that The word pranayama prana is life force energy vital soul force and yama is the restraint or the control and so oftentimes it is defined pranayama is defined as the control of prana but roy would tell us that the word is actually ayama which means the free flowing so when you have two words in sanskrit and one ends with the same letter as that the next one begins with, prana ayama, then one of those A's is silent. And so pranayama actually is the free flowing, is allowing the energy, this prana, this life force to flow freely through our system. And the flowing of this prana is intimately connected with our breathing. And so we can access The prana and we can uh, influence or actually um, remove the the resistance and the obstacles and allow for this prana to flow freely and naturally and harmoniously through some simple breathing processes and so uh, one of these that we would teach that is for intended for relaxation and balancing internally is alternate nostril breathing And this is where we would simply uh, close one nostril, inhale through the other. Close that one, exhale through the first. Inhale through the same nostril. Close, exhale through the alternate. Inhale, close, exhale to the other side. Inhale, close, exhale to the other side. And so we are inhaling, holding, exhaling, holding, inhaling, holding, exhaling, holding, back and forth, like square breathing. And it's useful to have about the same amount of time for the breath and the pause, this can be useful. So how does this work what is the what's happening in the body as we practice this process Inside the spinal cord it is said on, in the subtle uh, spiritual anatomy it is said that in the in the area associated with the spinal cord there are two channels two pathways ida and pingala and the ida and pingala the left and the right side are uh, responsible for activities within the system. So, um, the ida is um, calming and the pingula is activating. And so when we breathe through one nostril, if we breathe through uh, the left nostril, we actually activate the right side of the brain and the right side of the spinal cord. And so this is quieting, pacifying. If we breathe through the right side, we're activating the left hemisphere of the brain and activating the sympathetic nervous system, that which is activating. So we have the sympathetic nervous system, which is like the gas pedal. (coughs) We have the parasympathetic nervous system, which is like the brake. The sympathetic nervous system is associated with stress response, uh, stress not meaning necessarily bad, but mean meaning activated. And, um, and when this stress response is turned on, the heart beats a little faster. Uh, the blood pressure goes up a little bit. Uh, our seeing becomes a little bit more acute. Our hearing becomes a little more acute. The blood is shunted away from the internal organs and processes and goes out into the extremities uh, in order to be able to allow us to fight or run away there's there said that this stress response is also called the fight or flight or freeze response and so the body becomes activated to either fight to run away or to go after something which is uh you know interesting for it to, to uh chase down the prey so so the system gets turned on gets activated and this is called a stress response or the sympathetic nervous system and the counter to that is parasympathetic so once we've uh, you know run after the rabbit or you know chase the ball or do whatever done whatever we have done that required action then we rest and we quiet down and the blood flow is then Shunted back into the internal organs, where food can be digested, things can be clean cleansed, um, the bowels can work to remove toxins and process metabolize uh, food, and so all these functions in the body that are sort of optimistic—they sort of uh, they operate with the idea that there will be a tomorrow, and so we can do the housekeeping, and take care of what we need, and and keep the immune system functioning. And then when the stress response in the sympathetic nervous system is activated once again, then, then we our digestion stops and the gut stops doing its job. Some of the b- blood flow actually is shunted away from the brain, especially the frontal lobes. The frontal lobes are where allow us to be um, focused, focus our attention, to inhibit behaviors. Um, and the blood flow to the frontal lobes of the brain uh, is lessened a little bit during this sympathetic nervous system uh, excitation so we don't think as clearly and we don't have as much ability to inhibit our actions Uh, and the blood flow is shunted to those uh, motor centers into the muscles and to the senses so when we're doing alternate nostril breathing what happens is we are allowing this Life force, this energy, to flow through each channel for about the same amount of time in about the same manner, and so this this creates balance and harmony. Normally, if we are very grounded and very peaceful and very calm, each time we breathe in, the heart accelerates a little bit; it beats a little bit faster. And each time we breathe out, the heart slows down a little bit; beats a little bit slower. When we breathe in, our blood pressure goes up slightly. When we breathe out, our blood pressure goes down. There is this constant uh, balancing act that's happening that's part of our normal action. And if we are peaceful, centered, grounded, our breath comes slow and steady and regular, and our system is moving this balance back and forth. Uh, there is a measurement for this called heart rate variability, and this is where they can actually, uh, you know, place a device uh, just on your finger actually to look at the pulse, uh, and they can uh, and analyze how rapidly your heart is beating and how it's changing with time, and if it's if you're balanced and not stressed out and not uh, pushing the gas pedal, not pushing the sympathetic nervous system. And what happens is there's this beautiful sine wave where the the heart rate goes up a little bit, comes back down, goes up a little bit, comes back down, and it goes through this beautiful sine wave. And if we're stressed out, the breath comes quicker, um, thoughts become jangled, and the heart rate variability goes all over the place. So, so there's a direct physiological correlation with this movement of life force and energy in the system. And uh, the yogis have, have uh, suggested that it was beneficial, it was useful for us all to be practicing yogic breath. And that is to breathe deeply and to breathe all the way from the belly, all the way up to the, to the upper lobes of the, of the lungs. And uh, if we're not paying attention, It can be a habit, you know, normal people will um, usually breathe shallow and they'll be only breathing up in the upper part of the lungs. So diaphragmatic breathing, where we really move the diaphragm and allow the lungs to expand fully, fill them with air and then release and let it go, fill them with air, release and let it go. And just this conscious, a little bit deeper breathing, um, automatically relaxes us. Automatically lowers the heart rate. Automatically lowers the blood pressure. It can be extremely useful and and uh, and very healthy for us. So, so this is um, from our yogic breathing, and and there are some benefits that are physiological that come along with this. So each time that we breathe in we're actually creating a vacuum inside the chest cavity which expands the lungs and brings air in well at the same time that we create this vacuum in the chest cavity the heart is sitting here right behind the lungs and all of the blood from the lower extremities has to be returned up to the heart and as a help so the heart doesn't have to push so hard to go all the way, push the blood all the way out through the extremities and then through the little capillaries and then push it all the way back up into the heart. What happens is each time we breathe, we create this vacuum and it actually pulls blood up through this major vein. that comes up from the lower extremities. It sucks the blood back up into the heart and it helps the heart to keep circulation. So each time we breathe, especially when we breathe fully and deeply, we're actually helping the heart and we're bringing the extra blood up into the heart. And this helps to to oxygenate the blood more. So we have more oxygen flowing and the system is is nourished by this. The other thing that happens when we breathe in, each time we breathe in, and especially when we breathe deeply in this yogic breath, is we activate the, the vagus nerve. Now the vagus nerve is, uh, is the main nerve that's related to the parasympathetic nervous system. So the vagus is a big nerve and it's called vagus from kind of vagrant because it wanders around from the brain and it wanders around to all the organs, and the main organs and the tissues in the system. So it has a major connection with the heart and with the intestines, and with the colon, and with the liver. And so all these organs have big projections into this vagus nerve. It is one of the longest nerves in the body. And this vagus nerve, when it's activated, it activates the parasympathetic nervous system. It lowers stress. So it is said that, that the, the mind-body connection that we've heard so much about connection between the brain and the gut and the internal organs is is activated by and uh, supported by this vagus nerve and so so as we breathe deeply we activate the vagus nerve we become relaxed we turn on the parasympathetic nervous system our heart rate slows slightly and um our blood pressure goes down and this Uh, Vagus nerve is activated each time we exhale. So we take a full breath and then the exhalation activates the uh, vagus nerve and turns on the parasympathetic nervous system. So there is a very practical physiological correlate to our pranayama, to our our, um, working with this life force, this subtle prana in the system. And then it is also said, we're told that there is another channel. So we have the ida and the pingula. There's another channel, subtle channel in the spinal pathway called the Shishumna or the radiant path. And when the ida and the pingula, and when these two become completely balanced and very quiet, then the energy, the prana, is able to flow freely through the shishunna. And so this, is, this is, has a great benefit for our meditation and for our opening, expanding in consciousness. So this is also a useful thing. And uh, we can work with the uh, Shushumna to some degree. There is a, a pranayama, and this pranayama is closely related to, is associated with our Kriya pranayama. Uh, for those who, of you who have been initiated, you'll understand immediately. And for those who haven't been Im- initiated, um, when you make the choice to do that, then you will also understand. But the the on that this was uh, is based on is related to is called Ujaya breath. And Ujaya is uh, it's also called ocean breath or victorious breath. And this is a a very powerful tool for relaxing, for uh, oxygenating the blood, creating much more oxygen in the blood, for uh, increasing a little bit the internal heat, for uh, letting go of relieving tension. Uh, And this this, uh, pranayama actually encourages, very much encourages this free flow of prana, of life force in the system. It helps to regulate blood pressure. It builds our energy, our ojas and our energy. It helps to detoxify, that is to remove the toxins from the body. Um, And also it helps to remove the toxins from the mind. And so it helps to clear the mind and the emotional nature. And, And it helps to bring us into this moment of present awareness to be aware here and now in this moment where we are so so this ujjaya breath um, i will describe it uh, and and it's a little bit it takes a little bit of a technique um, but it's very not very difficult and once you get on to it you can practice this anytime Uh, it's actually recommended for when we're practicing hatha yoga or exercising or uh, involved in normal actions because it helps to regulate the breath and keep everything balanced and harmonious and kind of create a rhythm of life. And so the Jaya breath begins by simply constricting, slightly constricting the throat so that the air has a little bit more trouble passing through it. And we, we, uh, It's called ocean breath because there is a sound, a subtle sound that's associated with this. And uh, one way of thinking about this is if you were trying to use your breath to fog a mirror, you would make that sound. And so if you close your mouth and restrict the the throat just slightly, and you can almost hear this this same sound, the sound of the ocean on the shore, this very subtle sound and feel the slight restriction. So it's almost like trying to to suck the air through a straw. You don't want it constricted so much so that you can't pass the air and you don't want it so free flowing that you don't feel it. So, And we keep the throat slightly constricted, slightly closed, while we inhale and while we exhale. Inhale. Exhale. And as we do this, as we get, sort of get onto the feeling, the sensation, we can feel ourselves relaxing and calming. We can feel the body coming into balance very quickly. So if we ever have, uh, you know, a little challenge with uh, our emotions or feel a little out, out, out of off-center, um, we can always just take a few moments and just sit and practice this ujjayi breath. And so it has a similar effect to alternate nostril breathing, uh, except we don't have to close our nostrils. We can just simply um, constrict the throat slightly and then pay attention to our breathing. Deep, clear, slightly restricted so that we're really present in the moment. We're really present with our breathing and we're, Uh, breathing as the yogis recommended fully. We're fully filling the lungs from the upper lobes all the way to the lower lobes so we're getting good oxygenization Uh, and this is helping also because we're pumping the extra blood from the lower extremities at the same time. We really oxygenate the system. We create much more oxygen. Um, We put much more energy into the physical body as well as the subtle body. And so this can be uh, a very useful uh, practice for us to engage in so so ujjayi breath and uh, this can be practiced anytime uh, and again it's it's very uh, recommended very useful for when we're uh, practicing hatha yoga or exercising or doing anything where we want to stay on pace we want to stay uh, kind of balanced and stay in a routine so that can be useful for us and of course it's always, useful and helpful for us when we begin our meditation practice um, to do this for a minute or two in order to relax the body in order to calm the mind in order to bring everything back into into harmony so so this can be uh, can be very useful for us Um, also uh, related to this Uh, For individuals who have a tendency to have uh, hypertension, a little high blood pressure, um, because the exhalation turns on the parasympathetic, activates the vagus nerve, um, we can simply breathe in for a little bit shorter time, a little quicker, and exhale for a little longer time. So if we breathe in and then breathe out. And this process will actually lower our blood pressure and slow our heart rate. So, um, so for those who uh, are who experience hypertension from time to time, uh, this can be a very useful process, useful procedure for us as well. So, so pranayama uh, is in. Integrate, integral part of our Kriya Yoga process. So we've had several techniques that we've talked about this week. And uh, all of these techniques are recommended, are part of uh, what we teach for Kriya Yoga. So we begin with just observing the breath, just watching the breath, watching it come, watching it go, moving with it, being harmonious with it, um, and being and relaxing into it. And allowing, as we breathe, allowing the mind to quiet down. Again, as the breath becomes more subtle, the mind becomes more subtle. So we allow these two to come to slow down in harmony until we finally rest in in awareness that we are just the witness. We are identified with just the breath and there is no distraction. There is no memory. There is no anticipation of the future. There is only being in this moment and so this is this is the uh creating the the environment for the experience of transcendence so then beyond that um, once we are established and grounded and our attention and awareness is fully identified with an object then there's the opportunity for the shift in perspective and the shift in perspective happens by itself but we we sort of pop into this awareness that i am that we are just uh, pure awareness existence being that there is nothing outside of ourselves we are we have no location we have no size we are infinite literally and it can be helpful from time to time as we meditate to just ask ourselves this question you know if i'm infinite what does that feel like what's the experience of being infinite so this is contemplation so we recommend also contemplation contemplate your nature and contemplate and we can't really understand what it feels like what the experience of being infinite is this doesn't we you know we can't really have a concept for this but we can have the experience and so And so what happens is we keep moving past our ideas about it and we say, no, this is not it. What is it? And I think about it like uh, going into a room you've never been in before and the lights are off. It's dark. And so you have to feel your way in and you're not sure if there's furniture or some obstacle. You have to be sensitive. You're, you're wide open. Your senses are wide open. You're receptive. You're in tune with where you are In the same way, we 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 affirm my nature is pure consciousness, or I am infinite, and then we move into having this experience. We look for the experience. We let go of the ideas, the thoughts, and we move past that to being, having this experience. And so, and so we set the stage for this. We create the environment that allows this to happen through our meditation techniques, our processes. So we watch the breath. And sometimes we're capable of watching the breath and thinking at the same time. You find out that, okay, I'm noticing the breath and what's for lunch. And uh avocado toast sounds pretty good. Breathing, breathing. And uh have I got a fresh avocado and breathing, breathing. And so sometimes the mind is a little bit of a rascal and needs some training and so in order to help keep the attention focused um, we can also incorporate a mantra that's a word or a word phrase Um, roy used to recommend so hum mantra so we just listen to the sound so, so on inhalation hear the sound hum on exhalation so on inhalation hum on exhalation and if we listen to our breathing we can almost hear the inhalation sound like so and we can almost hear the exhalation sound like hum and so this can be useful or any word or any word phrase that we find useful so some some use uh om on inhalation god on exhalation Um, whatever we find works for us but again the objective is to become identified to become obsessed with this object to the exclusion of everything else, and then we teach uh, beyond the mantra. We we teach uh, this ultimate mantra of listening to Om. So we, as we did this morning, we listen to the, the vibration that automatically comes up, pops up in our in our mind and brain, and we listen to that intently with the the intention to hear behind it. Where is it coming from? What's its source? What's the origin? And in this way, we become really obsessed, really identified with this sound until we're finally so identified that we, are, we merge in it. There's no longer a sense of separation between us and the sound vibration. There is just this being, existence being in Aum, and then this transcendent um, process can take place and we emerge into pure awareness pure consciousness so listening to om and and i think of it i when when i'm doing this i always think that my objective is to get to the other side of om i want to cross that bridge i want to cross that river i want to move across from om from this vibration into pure existence being so listening to the om vibration and then uh, the next thing that we uh, normally teach is to chant Om through the chakras, and that is to become sensitive to the spinal pathways and the energy centers, the seven energy, energy centers, the chakras. Chakra means wheel, turning. And so we have one at the, the base, the Muladhara, and uh, Vishuddha, I mean, the Sahasrara, and then Manipura, Anatta. Issued, uh Ajna, Sahasrara. So we have these energy centers. Each is responsible for functions. They're like uh, distribution centers uh, in the body where the prana, the main life force, comes through the shushumna, comes down through the, the central pathway in the spine, and then it hits these chakras and is distributed to provide its function and to do the things that the body needs in order to function and and be healthy. And so so it can be useful for us to feel each one of these centers. So We begin at the base, and then we uh, put our feeling, our sensation, keep our attention here and keep our sensation, feeling, at the bottom of the spine and chant, Om, 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 and look for the feeling response. Look for the vibration at the center, at the base of the spine. And then we move up to the next chakra uh, in the small of the back. And we can actually reach back and, and feel that place between the SI, the sacroiliac joints, um, right there, the, the sacrum. And again, we, we feel it there, maybe tense up the muscles in the lower back and then chant om, om and see if we can feel this vibration in the spine at that center. And then up to the area behind the navel in the spine, lumbar center. And again, we chant om, om and feel it there. And then the the, uh, heart center, the center between the shoulder blades, we can move the shoulder blades back a little bit and feel for that location in the spine and then om, 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 and feel it there. And then the throat center in the spine behind the throat, om, om, and feel it there. And then the Ajna Chakra, the third eye center, om, om, and we feel it there. And then the uh, Sahasrara, the, the crown chakra, om, 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 and feel it there so we can do this and in this way we sort of activate the energy in these centers and we develop a sensitivity, a feeling for where they are. These are, these are subtle energetic centers, but they're also associated with nerve ganglion. That is, uh, nerve ganglion are, are co- connections of neurons that make little brains. These are actually little... Uh, smaller or extensions of our brain there there aren't separate ones we have a brain that's throughout the whole system and it's all wired up and uh, we just have this uh, tendency to think about the brain as being you know three pounds of gray matter in the head but the, the reality the truth is that the brain is the whole system there's no separation and the brain has nodes or modules at each one of these centers and so we can put our attention and our awareness and learn to feel them become sensitive to them both on the physiological and on the subtle spiritual level so as we activate these chakras we actually open them and allow prana allow life force to move unimpeded through them and so this can be very very healing for our body and our mind uh, this is very practical. In addition to uh, developing uh, the inner strength of mind and body, of consciousness to be able to support this expanded consciousness, expanded awareness. So it's kind of like exercising a muscle. If you do this a little bit every day, then the muscle gets stronger. We're able to carry more, and because the the brain and the nervous system is the the vehicle through which consciousness expresses, as we make it stronger, as we rewire it, in a sense, by the actions that we're taking, um, we allow it to support these higher levels of consciousness, and higher levels of awareness. And so, and so um, chanting Om through the chakras is uh, another one of our Kriya techniques. And then finally, at initiation, we teach Kriya Pranayam, which is very closely related to this ujjaya breath that I talked about this morning, uh, with, a, with a, a little twist, a little uh, emphasis, change in emphasis. And in between these, they help to uh, balance our internal energies, our subtle spiritual energies, and to make the body vibrant and healthy and keep the immune system enhanced. So so we can practice these things on a regular basis in order to to optimize the way we're living. Again, Yogananda said, uh, you have to live anyway, so why not live in the highest way? And Mr. Davis would remind us that uh, it's useful for us to have a long, healthy life. Long, healthy life. That enables us, a long life enables us to accomplish our purposes, uh, to accomplish our goals, and of course, one purpose is to be fully awake in this lifetime, to be fully conscious, to be enlightened, self-realized, and God-realized, liberated. And we can do that. And the other is to, to fulfill our purpose for being, to uh, provide a useful service, to interact with, and to communicate, and to serve uh, life in whatever way we're uh, we're drawn to. This service is what allows us to feel fulfilled and content and and have a meaningful purpose in our life and if we're not healthy we can't accomplish our purposes and life is not pleasant we're not joyful and so we need to be healthy and have a long life um you know i remember my mother when she was uh, nearing the end of her time in her 90s mid 90s and Uh, And she said, I just want to go. I'm tired. You know, there's been so much stuff. And I'm just, you know, just let me go. Let me go on to my maker. And, And of course, we don't want to come to the end of our life and just be worn out and worn down and, you know, running around in a body that's not functioning anymore. We want to stay healthy and vibrant. And we do that by starting wherever we are right now. And doing the things we need to do in order to prosper, in order to thrive, in order to be healthy. So, this can be a very useful part of our spiritual awakening path. It's not all inside, it's also the rest. There's no separation between the inside and the outside, there's no separation between the mind, brain, and the body. There are vehicles for consciousness to express through, and we are having this amazing adventure of a lifetime. And uh, ideally, we see every day with the same sense of awe and wonder that we had when we were little children. I don't know if you remember being four years old, five years old, everything was amazing. Everything was new. Everything was exciting. And so uh, this is how our life should be today. We should just look around and and everything we see really is uh, is awesome, you know. It has uh, so much dimension to it. This body that we're in has, is miraculous. What, what it does and how it does it is just mind-blowing, literally. So, so we should have a sense of awe and wonder. We should be present for life. We should be looking for how we can best serve and be open and receptive to all the good which is available for us all the time. So that's what I have to say today. Um, Do we have any questions? No questions? Okay.
1: I have a question. This is Gail. Yes. Um, But it's related to your first, the talk you had on the first day. Um, I I wrote it down. Um, So you were talking about the first three sutras and you said that there's this feeling that I'm the one that's doing. Mm -hmm. But the truth is the universe is doing this through us. And uh you were talking about the environment is happening around us. Um and but but we're in no way separate from this universe that's here. Exactly Um, and the reason, I think, is because it's being done through us. Um, and you were talking about the, the senses. Somehow our senses are making this world up. It's mostly about the future. So somehow we are. our mind is, is kind of piecing what's happening together that also contributes to us thinking that we're the doer um i was wondering i mean it's hard it's a lot to get your head wrapped around (laughs) so um i was wondering if you could just maybe talk about that a little more
0: okay well um yeah it's it's a little difficult to get your head wrapped around and this is uh it's wonderful for contemplation to try to think about how these things are your your experience of the world is happening your perception of the world is happening in the mind brain which is inside of a box it's inside of a bone box here it's inside of the skull and it never ever sees the world it's it's what's creating this illusion or creating this impression this movie of sensory awareness now um, <clears throat> if you've ever had children or been around really small babies or small children, um, you observe that, uh, these little children they when they come into the planet, they don't know what to do with their senses. They have all this input, all this data that's coming in from the eyes and the ears and, you know, mouth and tongue and, and everything is just noise. There isn't. There is no sense to it. There's no order to it. It doesn't come as a full-blown application that is like a seeing application. Rather, the brain has to figure out what these patterns of information, random data, is coming in. All this noise, and the brain has to start to recognize patterns in that, patterns in the sounds, patterns in the visual, uh, verticals, horizontals. Um, and, try, and begins to actually make sense out of the world. It literally, the senses later, literally um, rewire the brain into an organized ordering system that makes sense of the world. And there have been uh, experiments or there have been uh, observations of individuals who, for example, were, were blind from birth because of some congenital problem and, and were healed. Uh, when they were adults, and so all of a sudden for the first time in their whole life, they're able to see the eyes turn on visual information comes in, and it's the same thing they have they nothing makes any sense. It is just noise. And it takes a while for the brain to finally wire itself up for the neurons that recognize the verticals and the horizontals and the circles and for all these things to come together and to create some order. Out of the seeming chaos of this noise, so so our senses, in a very literal uh, way, are wiring up the brain in order to present us with a picture of reality. And yes, this is hard to wrap your head around because it just all seems to make so much sense, doesn't it? <laughs> but it didn't when we started out. And so so if we just are aware of that, this is not a you know nothing that we should become too obsessed with. But we're just aware of that. Then the other part is that the, the brain evolved to survive, to keep us alive, to keep us safe. And so in order to do that, it has a network built in, many networks, but it has a network that's built in that is designed to predict what's going to happen next. And so the predictions come a thousand times a second. So you, when, when we're going to stand up, from the chair or from the couch the brain is going uh well we could stumble we could uh you know the our ankle could cave in um is the carpet is that the carpet there or is that the cat that i'm standing on there's like a thousand possibilities of what could happen as i try to stand up and it has to predict okay well i need to lean forward a little bit and then uh, there's these muscles need to be uh, relaxed and these muscles need to be tend, tensed and all these things need to happen. and so so in the brain, this process is going on. it's guessing what might happen next and then it's looking at getting feedback from what's actually happening and, and modifying its uh, predictions and uh, and coming up with the best guess. So that we are prepared as we jump up, as we move forward out of that chair, we are prepared to be balanced, to stand up, not to fall down. So, and because this prediction process is so important to us, not stumbling, not falling, it actually, the brain actually serves us up its idea of what's going to happen about 20 milliseconds, about a fifth of a second from now so not only is it guessing what's going to happen but it kind of shows us what us what's going to happen and the reason for that is if it didn't then when you step when you went out on the the path to go walking and you stepped on that rock and your and your ankle twisted a little bit you wouldn't be resilient and bounce back but your brain knows that's a possibility one of those thousand possibilities and so it's constantly prepared. And when that starts to happen, it takes your body automatically acts, it has that fifth of a second to, to uh, respond to what's happening and keep you safe. So, so this is you know very interesting that we're sitting here living uh, 20 milliseconds or exper- experiencing 20 milliseconds into our idea of a future which is constantly being monitored and adjusted by what's actually happening around us. And it's also being adjusted, this, this prediction is being adjusted by what's happened in the past. So the brain not only takes into account what our objective is, where we're trying to go, what we're trying to do, what's happening around us, where the body is, this introceptive network, there's a, there, we have a sense of what's happening in the body. We talk about five senses, but there's actually about 30 senses. We have a sense of the temperature of our body. We have a sense of many of these these interoceptive things that are happening inside the body. We have a sense of balance uh, that are not related to the five main senses. So all these come into play and then everything that's happened in our past. So when we were in a similar circumstance, a similar condition, what happened? So we have to take that into account. And then we take into account what where we're going and what our objective is. So all of this is brought together in some magical algorithms and the brain is service serving us up with this picture of reality that we're living in right now. And, uh, and that's, and I, I really can't tell you much more about it because I'm, you know, I'm just in awe of the fact that it works <laughs> and and that it works in spite of the fact that it seems to be uh, very interesting in the way it's designed. Um, And one related thing, the emotions that we feel are, oftentimes we think that we have these buttons, you know, we have a button and somebody pushes this button and we get angry and this button and we get fearful and this button we feel guilty. And we have these kind of hardwired little apps that are emotions inside of us. And the reality is that these are not, there is no such thing. That our emotions are constructed in the moment from our interoceptive network, how we're feeling, what's going on around us, what our objective is, and what's happened in the past. And so if we happen to get up and we're not having a good day, we're having, you know, we got up on the wrong side of the bed or our energy's low, we didn't get enough sleep, we're not feeling that great. The same situation can cause us to feel sorry for ourselves or to get angry, where tomorrow we have a really good night's sleep, we had plenty of good food, we're nourished, we feel really good, the same situation happens and we're fine. So the emotions are constructed based on all these inputs that are coming in and what the mind brain thinks is the most useful to put us in right now at this moment. So that's interesting too.